0: Hey, Kuros, Kami here. Wow. Today, Kiku Hughes. Love this person. What a sweetheart. Like, what an absolute sweetheart. And we had a great talk about the Japanese-American experience and about Kiku's awesome book, Displacement, which I fucking love. You should absolutely read it. Like, for real. Also, hey, speaking of things that are for real, want to come see me in New York? Well, I'm there the August the August, August the 11th through 13th, or maybe you don't live in New York and you'd like to see me in Nashville on the 14th of August, or maybe you live in Austin. Well, I'll be there on the 20th. Or, hey, if you're in Denver, I'll be there on the 21st. And then I'll be back home in LA for a show at Largo on the 23rd of August. Big August tour date's coming up. Please come see me. I really need this, you guys. Okay. CameronEsposito.com for tickets. Enjoy the episode. Well, hi, welcome to the, hi. welcome, welcome. I always <laughs> have guests, I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so my
1: name is Kiku Hughes. Uh, I'm a comic artist from the Seattle area and um, I mostly work with like queer, I queer romance and like identity issues and like sci-fi bent. Those are my main themes, I guess.
0: That's, everything, sci-fi, I like.
1: that's what everything I
0: like. That's everything I like. It. Compassionate sci-fi? Yeah. Say? Wow. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> yeah. I um, could do more of that. Yeah. <laughs> I I think um I mean I'm first aware of you because I read your amazing book, Displacement, um, which is just really great. And everybody that's listening should purchase it and read it uh at their house. Or
1: at anywhere, the friend's
0: really? House. Yeah, yeah. Or in the its <laughs> public, public park. Could be anywhere. Oh, I yeah. do that
1: all the time. Not reading my own book, reading other people's books. But <laughs>
0: have
1: you have you ever read your own book in a public park? Think about it. I haven't. You know, the last book that I read in a public park was uh, Laura Dean Hughes breaking up with me, mm. which made me cry in the park. I uh, so. <laughs> I
0: have it right over here, somewhere. <laughs> so good. I, my Katie, my wife, she color coordinates my books and.
1: I then, that I, too. then I can't find
0: anything, but they, <laughs> but it looks so fucking good. That's why I was just yeah. like trying to find your book. And it's just like, I feel like I can't anyway, but it's, but it looks amazing. So, yeah, no, I, so I'm, I did I'm never like a rainbow. <laughs> yeah. That's what we've got going on here too. Yeah. yeah. So talk to me a little bit about like, I mean, I don't really know any of this. Like talk to me a little bit about your background, you know, like what, where did you, how did you start? Where did you start? Yeah.
1: uh, So I was an English major in college, and I didn't know what I was doing. You know, the joke about English majors, but uh, it was true. I didn't know what I was doing. I just liked to read books. And I'm actually really glad that I did that because I definitely read a lot of books that I wouldn't probably have normally read um, or I wouldn't have come across. So it gave me a, like a wide breadth of work to draw from when I finally decided maybe I should write, which took a while. <laughs> because, oh, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, I liked drawing, but I didn't want to be an artist. That was sort of my thing. Um, and so until I realized that comics were a thing, and then I was like, oh, no, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, got it. So that
0: was the hang up in not wanting to be an artist is that you, what? You just like, I, yeah, I didn't couldn't do find gallery the gallery. Right
1: Yeah, I I didn't like the sort of uh, gallery culture and I didn't really um, view myself as an illustrator so much. Um, But then, you know, comics wasn't really something that was presented as an option, especially when I was in school. Um, You know, they're getting a lot more sort of mainstreamed now. But, um, yeah, I didn't I just didn't really think of comics as like a career move until I discovered web comics, which kind of changed my whole worldview about how comics you know off, like what comics could be basically what were
0: you reading specifically do you do you remember what like web comics
1: yeah so there was one called s skin um, by Spear monster that i remember being really inspired by um and oh human star by blue del quanti was incredible um knights of the realm by um mildred lewis I've
0: and read that, I something that agents blue... of the
1: realm not knights of the realm <laughs>
0: Something that Blue oh, like, yeah, Blue's done incredible work like, um, um maybe st- it's something about food, like Neil,
1: yeah, yeah, that's such
0: yeah. a good, that's so good, yeah, um, yeah.
1: But, I highly recommend Oak oh, Human Star, too. It's their web comic and it's okay, um, it's about androids and sort of like, I like, yeah, it's it's about androids and sort of like identity gender exploration, and uh, yeah,
0: Great. it's incredible <laughs> writing this down with a pen like from the past. um that that sounds great um okay so you were you're looking at this stuff and you had training as a like in in drawing or as an artist or just like no well I I
1: took a couple like a handful of art classes in college it was kind of hard to fit with the schedule but um you know figure drawing is always helpful but I really think I learned more just by like looking at artists that I really enjoyed. I remember Polly Guo is an artist that I learned about when I was first sort of thinking about comics and her art just like blew my mind and just sort of studying why I liked
0: it um, helped me figure it out. (laughs) Wow. A lot of these people I like don't even know, you know, which is, which is wild. It's, it's, uh, I guess I kind of thought I, I thought I had like some knowledge but in this area, but no, I don't think so. I don't oh, think there's I do. always so much more. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So then, so then what you're like drawing at yeah. your house or in a public park? Yeah. Uh, well, I wish
1: I, <laughs> I haven't perfected that mobile setup yet, but. Um, <laughs> I was working at the time, a temp job at or like, a, yeah, a temp job at Google Maps. And
0: I was um, really, what were you yeah. doing at Google Maps?
1: I, I was like the, the, what's the word? I, I like customer service, I guess, but people uh-huh. like report issues with the map and then I would fix it.
0: Wow. Like they're calling yeah. you. How, no, how, how are they, they like, getting in touch with you?
1: There's like a little prompt on the Google Maps that's like, is this wrong? You can report it. And that, oh so God. I was the person who, who fixed those it was actually a really fun job um that's so interesting. A yeah and it was what great year was
0: for, oh
1: that was like 2013 through 2015 I think so it's also like kind of like a
0: almost like a beta version of glue I mean I don't know how far into the, now it's like oh yeah we're pretty we're pretty far in but that's it hasn't been it hasn't really existed for that long
1: <laughs> yeah it was it was sort of the middle period my job was not advertised to me, but what I found out eventually was to train um AI to do my job. Like that was holy the shit. Thing. Yeah. So uh, that was part of it. But, um, yeah, but it was really interesting. I got to work for a time in the international like disputed areas part of Google Maps. Are you serious? So we, yeah, oh, man. It was this wild. is so interesting. Yeah, actually, I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about that, but <laughs> sure. But like
0: just that that even exists. Yeah, because you know, oh my people god, that just
1: like report, you know, land disputes and things like that, and it's like a lot of tricky political situations. So
0: um, I can't but remember. It was great. I can't yeah. remember if this was like around this time, but I also don't even know if this is like if there was somebody making this joke, but I'm assuming it was like a person making this joke. But around this time, maybe it was you. Around this time, <laughs> there was like one day where I like put in. I was trying to route something and it like, it, it like pulled from, I don't know, like Africa or Europe, a similar, a similar town name and was giving me directions from Chicago to there. And it was like, (laughs) and it was like, and it was like, like, drive to the Pacific ocean, Yes, (laughs) go in a boat across the Pacific ocean. Then there was part of it was like with a bicycle. Anyway, I did get like joke directions once from Google maps where like, I was like, somebody is. I don't, I didn't mean to like hit the give me joke directions um, button, but like, it's good to know that they exist where yeah. somebody was really messing with me.
1: It was either a joke or somebody just really dropped the ball and <laughs> man, I could have fixed that for you about five years ago, but now oh. I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> no, that's all right. I mean, I didn't actually need to get to this particular city in Africa by bicycle at, at that per, at that time. I, yeah, not yet. <laughs> yet. That's right. It could, it could always come up, but um, all right. Wow. Okay. That's a. Yeah. So then you're doing that as your day job. And what else is going on?
1: Yeah. So it was great because working for a major corporation is so freeing because you really get to just waste a lot of time and feel good about it. Um, <laughs> and that was my thing. <laughs> I've never done this. You know, it was, yeah. It's the only time I've done it. I highly recommend if you, you know, if you're choosing among your daily jobs, um, one where you can just waste time and feel like it's praxis is right. pretty great. <laughs> Um, so I was doing a lot of comics, like on my lunch break and like, uh, during weekends and stuff. The first comic I made over a weekend, um, was like my first experimental trying at making a comic. It was only like seven pages, I think. Um, and from then on, I just sort of went longer and longer until it became 270 pages.
0: (laughs) Wow. And then, and then did what with those 270 pages?
1: Yeah. So in 2016, uh, there was a lot going on and
0: there was I, a lot going on. That is a real yeah, accurate statement.
1: <laughs> there was a lot. And one of the things that, um, I, you know, did to process that was I went to an event at, uh, the Seattle public library that was co-sponsored by this organization called Den Show, which is, uh, Yeah, I'm sure Katie knows them. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, they are uh, sort of an online uh, archive and like Wikipedia. Like a Wikipedia almost. Yeah, like they have an Is how it's been
0: described to me. Yeah.
1: Katie, yeah. But they also have a lot of archives. So like they really want Mm. to digitize uh, a lot of these like memories of Japanese American incarceration, Um, especially because, you know, a lot of the people who went through it are really elderly now. And so we're sort of, Densho's whole mission is to like, preserve these stories while people are still alive. Um, and so they put all this stuff online and they also um, host all these events. So they hosted this one that was like, the theme was the sort of lasting after effects of Japanese American incarceration and how we can sort of use the knowledge that we in the Japanese American community have about our history to like, help people in that current situation, people that are being marginalized and scapegoated and, you know, migrant communities, uh, you know, Muslim communities, all of that. Um, and so hearing sort of those thoughts, like really on, it was a panel of like academics that were speaking on this, um, helped me sort of figure out what I was feeling about everything and sort of, uh, processing a lot of like identity stuff at the same time. Um, just about, you know, I'm, I'm mixed race. I'm half white, half Japanese American um and so you know the whole my whole life it's kind of been like what am i <laughs> i don't know um and that sort of tied with the you know this very uh, earnest desire for a lot of japanese americans to like be involved in this activism helped me sort of figure out both what i needed to do next which was write a comic about japanese american incarceration um but also sort of where i fit in in the whole uh, I
0: don't know, scheme of things, I guess. I'm trying to think through like how much context we might have to give for the podcast. Because I, yeah. I don't actually know. I don't, I don't, I feel. un. I feel a little like out of touch around how much we talk about this sort of as a culture because what happened in my life is that, you know, I'm a white person that is fourth generation American and I moved from Chicago, where I heard very little about Japanese American incarceration, to California 10 years ago, where because many of these camps were here, it, the proximity, and the um future generations living here, and it just it was it was suddenly on my radar in a different way. I had heard about it, but like it was with the word in you know internment like it was it was very specific information, and it was very like um, very underplayed, I think is what I would say uh, yeah, in terms of its like lasting effects or even in terms of what it was. And then I got to California, there felt like there was more information, and then now, um, you know, 10 years later, I'm, I'm married to somebody who is also mixed-race, white, and Japanese-American, and her family was a part of this. So I feel like it's something that's a little more on my purview than maybe other folks who didn't have this in their own family history for multiple reasons, but I don't—I mean, it is now my family history, because Kay's my family, but yeah. um, it's not my— <laughs> I'm not a descendant of this. Um, But yeah, so I don't know what people know about what we're talking about.
1: Me neither. And I sometimes still get, you know, people saying, wow, I didn't learn about any of this in school. And on the one hand, I'm kind of like, wow, that sucks. (laughs) It does suck. (laughs) Because, yeah, I mean, even when I was growing up in Seattle, you know, there's a pretty big Japanese American community as well. Um, But there wasn't a lot discussed about it in school. I remember choosing projects specifically in third grade. Um, You know, we would do like, you choose your own Washington State History Project. And I remember being like, I want to do Japanese American incarceration because, well, I didn't call it that at the time. Like you said, uh, internment camp was like the accepted term at that time. Um, And for context, for anyone else who's listening, um, you know, there's a lot of conversations in the Japanese American community about what to call them because... Um, technically, they were concentration camps, but yes. the, that is such a loaded word because the death camps in Nazi Europe um, were called concentration camps, even though they were death or labor camps. Um, so there's like this cascading pacification of what actually happened. Yes. Um,
0: yeah. Actually, and you and again, just to say, like you like even define that at the end of your book, Displacement, you like... Def- out, laid out why specific words were what you chose to use and and um you know again it's like things like that are why I n- know this and so it's I mean it's like great I'm so glad you like put this in your book but also <laughs> if I'm not somebody who's reading your book it's it, it does feel like it's like history that Currently, for folks that don't have this in their in their family lineage, it's like almost like a self-selected group of people that are learning about this, which is right. Like you're saying it's it's really disappointing and and incredibly sad that that's true. But um that's even why I know some of the some of these debates exist is because I'm like choosing to educate myself, I guess' is what right.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of internal politicking in the Japanese American community about that, too. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a there's a lot of like those kinds of issues. But um.
0: so just to sort of like give a summary and I'm probably going to do a bad job of this, but I'm trying. You know, there was an executive order that asked, told Japanese Americans to report to these sites, these incarceration camps, um, during World War II. And for, like, that would have been my grandparents' generation, you know? And, um, then many of these folks went and joined the military, um, because that was a way of creating safety for them and their family. There's a huge history of, um, just ways that this affected Japanese-American community. And we've never really done a thing ab- about that as a country that I'm aware of that like sort of acknowledges and confronts that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because um, we we kind of have. I mean, there was the redress movement of the 1980s that was a lot. Uh, it was. You know, headed by a lot of uh, third-generation Japanese Americans whose mm-hmm. parents had been in the camps, um, and who were, you know, involved in civil rights activism, and so they started this uh, redress movement to to sort of force the government to acknowledge that what they had done was wrong, um, and and they they were successful in that. And actually, Ronald Reagan was the one who um, like apologized on behalf of the country, which is so bittersweet. (laughs) right? Um, But uh, it's tricky because, you know, it came with uh, $20,000 of uh, reparations and sort of a a national apology. Um, And, you know, the $20,000 was a weird amount. It also only applied if you were still, if the person who was in camp was still alive, which my grandmother wasn't at the time. So um, if, if family members, and that was the 80s. So, you know, a lot of people were not alive. Um, so they kind of got away from that one a little bit. <laughs> wow. And um, it also, I feel like, I don't know, it is very strange to me that in American history, there have been reparations and apologies to the Japanese American community, while still none for Black Americans, descendants of slaves, still none for, you know, survive- surviving survivors of indigenous like massacres, no apologies, no reparations for any other group. So it's a very strange position. And I I don't entirely know how I feel about it, um, except for that, you know, Japanese Americans now are advocating for reparations for other communities, especially because I, I mean, for me personally, I think a big part of what that redress movement was about wasn't the money or the reparations. It was really just the government being publicly having to publicly acknowledge that what they did was wrong. That was very important to people because, um, you know, before that a lot of people didn't talk about their experiences because there was still this idea that if they did, so they were being un-American. And so, you know, a lot of people have talked about how after the American government said what we did was wrong, People that survived camp were more open about their experiences. They were able to share because there was less of this shame.
0: Also, Giku, I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What the fuck? I mean, there are so much. Even I'm still learning about this because, yeah, it's just all these stories are so lost. But.
0: So you're decision then and and I think when you're saying like a lot was going on in 2016 I'm just trying to it's hard at this moment to try to remember what when anything has even happened because <laughs> yeah. so, so, much happened. It's yeah. so much has happened yeah much has <laughs> happened but I think what you're talking about is like that Donald Trump became president and then anti-immigrant sentiment yeah. Even the election, not even, even before he was president. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. Oh my God. Thank you. Yes. Now I'm remembering what happened. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. As he was running. Yes, of course. Oh my God.
1: Yeah. It was so scary. much has
0: happened. Yeah. But when you just said that, I like, I feel like I was like, oh my God, right. That happened. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Everything he said the entire time he was saying anything was horrifying.
1: And watching Um, people just slowly accept it, you know, like at first he was like the outlier in the Republican debates. And then as people like fell in line behind him, it was terrifying to watch. It was. And, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: His strategy of like, I just it's like I've never I don't know if I previously had seen somebody employ the strategy of if you just say other terrible things, you actually bury yourself. Yeah. In the news cycle
1: like a con man strategy typically, right?
0: It's it's just y- it's like, just like just he's say like the next thing. Exactly. <laughs> like, I, like, I know I said all that terrible stuff, but if I just actually, did you hear the end of the sentence? Because it's equally as bad. <laughs> yeah. But I bet you don't remember how I started. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> oh my God. What a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, but that's was also... actually, yeah, go
1: ahead. Go ahead. I, I included the, the Trump election in the book. I included you know quotes from the Trump election and from his advisors, and and actual things that were being said at the time. And I actually got some people asking, "Do you think this dates the book? Do you think you know it? It, it makes it too stale or puts it in this one specific time?" And, and you know, I was worried about that a little bit, but I also think his whole election and and the way that Japanese Americans specifically responded to it is a part of this history too. It's a part of the legacy of Camp. And and I think in that way, you know, even 20 years from now, I think it's, you know, still valuable to understand how Japanese Americans reacted to the Trump election.
0: I think that's very smart. And the other thing that is true is that, like, just because of how aging works, <laughs> um, the the generation that this happened to which is like kind of our grandparents' generation, most people don't know their great, most people don't have the opportunity to know their great-grandparents just because of like the life cycle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but many people have an opportunity to know their grandparents. And so you and I are sort of an interesting generation in that this thing happened and younger generations than us m- may not have that personal relationship with the people it happened to even if folks weren't talking about it just knowing that person is a different thing like my grandfather was in world war ii he was like you know he served when he was 17 he had no teeth because they took all of his teeth out when he was he was he was in the navy and no. he had toothache and the easiest oh. thing for him for them to do was to remove all of his teeth and so he had dentures from when he was 17 years old he never told me that story But I knew knew him, you know, and like the World War II generation, our grandparents generation, my kids won't he's he's already passed. My kids won't know him. So when I talk about him, there's like a difference there. And I do think that. You know, in that our generation is was able to vote in the Trump presidency uh, election and then also have personal knowledge of those folks, kind of the last, you know, generation that that might be true for Um, this is me. Defending your use of Trump quotes to your publisher. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> because it's it a publisher. It makes...
1: was actually they were very cool, with
0: it. <laughs> or whoever like, it yeah. is. But I, but it does make sense, you know, to me that it's like that that loop of of personal knowledge with these folks is is just different for for us and for our parents than it will be for our descendants. Yeah, absolutely. So your relationship with your grandmother. Can mm-hmm. you talk to me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, um easy cuz I I had none. Uh she was yeah. <laughs> she died long before I was born. Um she died when my mom was uh, I think 20. Uh, um and so way back in the 70s and um yeah, so so my relationship to her growing up was you know, I I, I don't remember the moment that I knew that I found out about camp cuz my memory is terrible, and um, it just feels like I've always known because I, I remember in third grade wanting to know more, but um, but she's always been kind of just you know photographs and and just sort of uh, you know a disconnect between sort of where we are now as a family and where she was um, you know there's huge distance because not only was she you know experiencing Japanese American incarceration. Um, but she grew up, you know, she raised my mom's and her siblings, you know, very lower class, very um, impoverished. They were in the projects in New York City um, and she was a single mom in the 50s with four kids. So, you know, there's just so much that I, I don't know about how she made it, how she got through all of that. And, you know, part of writing Displacement for me, which is really an exploration of sort of what we don't know about our family. Yeah. Um, was was working through, you know, what that lack of knowledge means and sort of why I don't know what I don't know. That was a big part of it.
0: Yeah. When you were talking about sci-fi at the beginning, at the very beginning, somebody might wonder why y- you would call yourself oh, yeah. <laughs> sci-fi if they haven't read this book, but there's like a, I don't know, would you, do you, do you call it time travel? Would you call it yeah. time travel? Is it a time travel element?
1: In the book, I sort of uh, at
0: the end, spoiler alert, but not, I mean,
1: (laughs) who cares? Um, I I refer to it as memory travel um, because to me, time travel, um, it kind of insists upon historical accuracy in a way that I didn't want to emphasize. I wanted it to be about what a community remembers um, and sort of how that shapes the present. Um and the way that those memories are are played out physically in our in our current lives. Um and so so it it operates kind of like time travel, but without the um historical accuracy, I guess. <laughs> or like Which isn't a, to say that i or I like did a, a lot car of- that flies. Yeah. Yeah. There's no yeah, car exactly. that flies. Either. There's no big machine that I'm like Mm-mm. fiddling dials and stuff. <laughs> right
0: unfortunately but because i
1: know well luckily that would
0: me, be so I fun to draw yeah i know
1: it was hard enough having to draw a train
0: so oh, yeah <laughs> so what does your family think of this book
1: yeah you know it's so it's so weird answering that question because a lot of people do ask and my family you know we don't talk them i mean we do we do but we don't talk about like our feelings very much i guess um writing the scene at the end of the book my my character who is a sort of fictionalized version of myself talks with her mom about everything that happens and that sort of becomes like a an ending wrap-up but um in reality you know we don't talk about things like that very much um and they were very supportive my mom was very supportive but um You know, it's
0: just like, it's very, I think it's very Japanese American just to kind of not discuss these things. (laughs) That's, I mean, so I guess it also makes a lot of sense to me, just like as an artist, that you maybe then multiple times wrote conversations that you didn't actually get to have. Oh, yeah. With your mom, with your grandmother, just different conversations that, um, yeah, it's like a way of working through something if the person's not necessarily you know, available or, or, or if I'm not available for that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's the thing. I also felt awkward asking because I would have to, you know, ask questions about my grandmother, ask my mom about that. And, you know, I I was, I was worried at first because I didn't want to bring up any old traumas or, you know, bad memories or anything. She died when she was very young and it was hard. It was hard for my mom. Um, But what I found was actually that she really enjoyed talking about her and sharing stories. Um, And I was able to share what I learned about camp and about what she, my grandmother, would have gone through with my mom, um, which was not something that my grandmother ever talked about, really. So that was kind of, in a way, it was very, like, healing, I think, to sort of share these things with each other, um, but not in a way that we discuss as such.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I mean, some of this is just my guessing, but I do feel like where we are in 2022 is like maybe a time that this kind of conversation could come up, you know, a little more. I mean, even in 2016, you're at that actual event, you know, there's this is you're writing this book, people are publishing it like it. We're sort of and it and it's that doesn't line up with. And this is sort of what you were saying earlier, the folks who actually experienced this are now either gone or, or very old. So like the timing when that is the, the, I guess the threat of loss around these stories is that like, uh-huh. there was a big period of time where like, we just, you're saying it's, you know, Japanese American to not talk about <laughs> these things, but also if people are shaming you and not giving space, there's, you know, also that. Yeah. Um, my question is like, you know, have you heard from a lot of folks about this book mattering to them does that feel like a lot of pressure to you like how do you position how does anybody can kind of like exist and make art in that framework it just feels like a lot of it feels like a lot of pressure to get it right and to you know speak for a community especially a community that maybe didn't get to speak or maybe now won't get to speak because they're not here you know what is that like for you yeah i mean it was, it definitely, I put a lot of pressure
1: on myself about that, especially, I. you know, I spent over a year just researching when I was writing. Um, and even so, I still know there are things that I didn't include or that I got wrong. Um, and, and part of how I dealt with that was definitely the uh, use of the sort of magical sci-fi element um, to, again, de-emphasize the importance of, like, detail, of, of, of precise detail, I guess, um, and really emphasize instead the sort of emotional community impact. Um and you know there I do wish that you know I could have all the answers, but I knew that was never going to be the case, especially when it came to my grandmother's story specifically. There's just things that I'll never know and there's things that we as a whole will never know about what people experienced. Um, but you know, I have heard from a lot of people, Yonsei, the fourth generation, my generation, um who, you know, felt very seen in this book, which meant a lot to me. Um, because part of part of the book, as I said a little earlier, was sort of figuring out who I was as a Japanese American and where I fit into that. And I think that is true for a lot of people, especially people who didn't grow up in historically Japanese neighborhoods, um, who who feel that distance. And that is by design. The thing that I really come to realize is that The camps weren't just about removing people from their homes. It also scattered the entire community across the country because so many people left camp early. In order to leave camp earlier than they closed in 1945, you had to go east or you had to go away from the West Coast, which is where historic Japan towns were. Um, And so that disillusion of community was such a a blow to the fabric of the the culture. and, and I think that is one of the main things that we are all, as, you know, fourth generation, trying to reconnect and find each other in that way um, and rebuild these communities, maybe not in a physical space, but, you know, certainly online. And um, wow. yeah, so I, it, that was really powerful to see a lot of people of my generation feel that distance and feel like, okay, now we can bridge these gaps and bring these communities back together.
0: Yeah, I was saying before we started recording, and I don't think I said this after we started recording, that my, wa- my wife Katie is is your generation. yeah. And, um, you know, she was so... I, like, found your book first. I don't even remember how. And when I was like, um, you have to read this. And I think it even took her, like, a minute to kind of be, get to that place where she wanted to because I think she was nervous about the just how emotional it would be. And mm-hmm. I think it was really emotional for her. And you know, so I got to s- see some of what you're talking about in my own bed because uh, <laughs> she was reading it at night. <laughs> um, but also to your point, a, uh, earlier this summer, we went up to San Francisco and stayed in Japantown in San Francisco and we're reading about the history there. And, and that's a good example of what you're talking about in that before this happened, the si- the the geographical size of Japantown was it was like thirty blocks or something like that. And now it's like it's like six or something like that. there's it's a really marked difference. yeah, um simply because, like, you know, folks were yeah forced apart, not 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 just the incarceration, but then also like landlords and and folks you know taking over property and just and just a desire to sort of like dissolve the solidity of that community exactly um, yeah yeah so i mean it it's it's still there but it's a very different version than what it used to be yeah and it's so it's so interesting i feel like the
1: the japanese american experience is a very strange one because of the you know subsequent like fetishization of Japanese culture that came after um, that. It, it's very, it, it
0: puts people
1: in a very weird position. I don't know if Katie's ever talked about this,
0: but yes, for sure. But yeah. but please tell me more about what you mean. I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to assume, but yes, I, I do think yeah. I know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, you know, growing up, anime was hugely popular. It was mm-hmm. starting to get hugely popular in, in America and, People would always ask me, you know, why do not you speak Japanese? Oh, you don't speak Japanese? And this, and I never knew what to say to that. Sorry, I don't speak Japanese. But, you know, as I grew older and especially reading researching for displacement, I realized just what a weird question that is, like what my grandmother would have thought of that question because she made the conscious choice not to teach her children Japanese. Yes. And like, and now I'm like, why didn't I get to learn Japanese? <laughs> it's like this very weird blip. and I feel like you see that in a lot of Japan towns specifically you see that embodied in like physical ways because you know whereas before you know the, the you know you got to have this big culture and like Japanese American culture specifically I feel like a lot of Japan towns if they exist anymore um you know kind of have to lean into that you know almost fetishization of Japanese culture in a way that makes I don't know it, To me, it always felt kind of like I don't I don't relate to
0: that, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely, you know, definitely Katie and I have talked about I mean, many times. So like I'm again, I'm the same generation American that she is. Yeah. Zero people ask me if I can speak Italian. Um (laughs) also, you know, of course of course, this is you know, Italy and Japan, they were kind of um on the same side, <laughs> they were both. Yeah, they were both. They Stephen were boys, from. you know, yeah. and so and we and we know that Italian Americans who like, you know, The Sopranos would tell you faced uh obstacles in coming to the United States. Like nobody was incarcerated. This is yeah, very. Few. You know, I think there were there was a handful. Yeah, but, but there were a few. There were a few. God, I didn't yeah not know that. Well, I anyway, think
1: if they were they were like openly pro Mussolini, I think then maybe, but sure. Okay, <laughs> it took a well, lot, Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, openly that that that's a different. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a different. So like the way that the way that race lines up with this. Also, I just think in terms of you're talking about the fetish, fetishization. It's you know the way that that other cultures have like mixed into American culture. I mean, Italian American culture is like pizza. Like it's so it's so <laughs> it's like so. I mean, yes, we have Little Italy, but it's just I think it's so rote. You know, I think I think people really think of it as rote versus i think people generally have accepted you know a lot of asian american culture and then specifically japanese american culture as if it's still very far removed from the american experience right yeah italian american culture is pizza (laughs) japanese american culture is like still like a a further away you know exactly
1: yeah and that's the long history of orientalism and how it works you know i mean people have been it's wild. People have been fetishizing East Asian cultures for you know since uh, Van Gogh and like the Impressionism period. Like that was hugely influenced by a lot of like East Asian art and everything. And people would like dress in kimonos. That. Yeah, it's wild. There's a lot of Impressionist paintings of like white ladies in kimonos and like <laughs> it's it's oh my god yeah really? it's been going on forever yeah. <laughs> So, wow yeah this sort of back and forth um but yeah it does it does it, it is wild because yeah people would ask that like oh I love anime it's like I'm more Japanese than you because I speak some Japanese because I watch anime and and being older and being like you know why I don't speak Japanese it, it, it's just like yeah maybe because of your grandparents but
0: <laughs> right
1: so yeah yeah I don't know. It's a weird. I still have a lot of trouble articulating that specific feeling. Like I didn't watch anime when I was growing up because it made me feel weird and I couldn't I still have a hard time explaining why because I missed out on a lot of good stuff.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm just going to take this even one step further and you can totally say that you don't want to answer this question. But, you know, there's a there's a big intersection here with queerness also that I feel like, you know, in terms of lesbian identity, queer identity being fetishized um, Asian women being fetishized, Japanese American culture being fetishized. It's like a, it's like a <laughs> big giant stack. Yeah. Of different yeah. things that we, fetish- <laughs> that we fetishize. And I'm just curious if, if you could speak to that for a second or if that's, or if that's been part of your experience at all, because I certainly know that like, yeah, each of those things are something that like, I can imagine a, a, a stereotypical white guy in a basement Googling in a, horrifying way. <laughs> oh, and God. when that's your actual identity, you know, and it collides with things other people are putting on you. It's, you know, it's a lot to I don't have to tell you. But yeah. I'm just curious. No,
1: absolutely. Um and yeah, I mean in a lot of different ways that comes up. Like I I was super late in figuring out like my sexuality. And part of that I realize now as an adult is because I was so focused on figuring out my race, like what race am I? <laughs> then I was like, I'll deal with everything else later. <laughs> I kind of have a brain where I'm like, if i like, I can't work on three things at once. I have to finish a project. first. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 For so, sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. In that way, it kind of intersected, but, um, but yeah, like yeah, definitely. the And it comes up a lot over and over again, you know, the, the sort of rise in anti-Asian hate crimes and specifically, like, yeah, you know, Asian women, Asian sex workers, Asian women who may be perceived as sex workers, and all of that sort of complicated intersection of the ways that these, like, fetishization and, and even the most tame versions of them um, compound and create harm along the way. Um, It's it's it is terrifying to watch. And but this is on a more on a brighter note, this isn't tangentially related, but I did want to make sure that I brought it up because it's it was hugely important to me. um, Was uh I always want to talk about Jira Onuma, who was the only well, the best documented um, gay man in camp. Um, And he you know, there's photographs of him with his boyfriend in camp, and it is like finding that was incredible for me. <laughs> like it, it absolutely sort of shook my world. Um, and uh, I want to shout out to uh, um, Tina Takamoto, um, who did an, uh, a series of essays and also uh, wrote for Dencho about Jiro's experience. Mm. Um, has done such incredible work uh, looking for Jiro um is is the sort of i think the the title of it and it explores sort of like what it means for people to see themselves in that position um and think about queerness in camp was, was really interesting
0: um i i feel like we just saw i don't think i'm making this up i think it was him i because we were katie and i when we were in san francisco we went to the like Um, in the Castro there's some like tiny museum where they have the original pride flag and it's truly like that's most of what the museum is in terms of like it's just like in the center there's it's like there's the flag look at it (laughs) but um so I think you could almost miss that they actually have a lot of really cool other like very small and specific like artifacts and um little stories around it's I mean it's the it is truly the tiniest place you've ever been in your entire life but I think Jiro was was in there there were there were and there were a couple other just like I mean not a couple there's probably 30 little moments of like queer history that were unexpected like here's us like this is the the bar that existed in San Francisco in this era or whatever it is and and I will say um you know, it does, it always impacts me a lot. It makes me have perpetual goosebumps just to remember that, like, we've always been here and see exactly. all the the moments that, like, every history has been our history. And, the, you know,
1: it relates so well because, you know, this process of later generations having to do the work to rediscover that history is, you know, that's right. such an overlap between, you know, the queer experience and, you know, Japanese American experience is, like, you know, this history isn't given to us. We have to seek it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so true. Yeah. Yes. So, do you feel having had this experience and like, you know, stepped through all of this? Do you have a feeling personally of greater peace? Do you have a feeling of like more frustration? I mean, what, how does it feel? Mm- knowing everything you know now and t- having done that research for a year is it where are you with that yeah it's there it's both
1: definitely both because uh, on a personal level and on a community level i i figured out sort of what it meant to be japanese american to me um in the process of making this book and i realized you know it took me longer than it probably should have but uh, the big realization for me was the huge gulf between the being Japanese American and being Japanese. And the reason that it took me so long to realize the difference is because everyone I met didn't know that difference. <laughs> and so the sort of expectations were you should speak Japanese, you should watch these anime and you should uh, wear a kimono and go to Bonadori. Um, and sometimes I did, but, <laughs> but the the thing for me was Japanese American culture is so much more, Rooted in in activism and and that made me very proud um, and made me realize sort of where I fit in there and like the legacy of you know civil rights work and agitating and really bringing up these hard issues um, you know made me realize sort of that part of Japanese American culture is something to be very cherished um, and you know wow. to be continued. Um, yeah. On the other hand. Part of the experience of researching for the book um, was how little we ever know about a bad situation, because, you know, digging into the camp and realizing all these stories that don't get told. Maybe they're isolated incidents, but things that stuck with me, like the kids who, you know, their father was a widower and he was taken by the FBI um, right after Pearl Harbor. Um, and the FBI didn't bother to check if there was another parent in the house. So these kids came home to an empty house, no adults. And they had no they were twelve. they had no idea what to do. Um things like that, things like kids who were adopted by white families uh, and didn't even know they were Japanese- American until the government came and took them to a camp. Um, you know, these sort of isolated stories of just pure horror um, that you don't hear about. and then it makes you realize every other, terrible thing that has been done in this country that we know about is a pacified version of what actually happened. There are layers to it that we can't even access. And sort of that realization is is what haunts me. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. So there's both.
0: <laughs> right. I, that's, that's such a, you know, I'll go back to the 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 thing I was saying about, like now I live in California, so like this history is more present for me, right? like the there's a um there's like a big like food festival called the six two Six night market that happens Ooh, nice. here and it also happens in like San francisco and it's um it happens here in l a at or i mean technically, it's like in Arcadia, um which has a a really big chinese american population and this six two six market night market is like every type of Asian food like ch- like Island and like it's, it's just like every type of Asian food and um most people that are there are Asian American folks and I just say this to say that like when we were going to the Santa race racetrack to go there Katie was like I was telling you know she's telling one of her friends that we were going to this and he said that this is where his family was held before they were this racetrack yeah is There are like stalls, and this is where folks were held, like as a middle place before the assembly center. Yeah. Yes, that's the right word for it. Before going to the incarceration camps. So we're like driving in, you know, and it's just everything all at once. It's like this celebration of culture with many different types of cultures with that history. And like you're saying, I mean, I just happened to know about that because of who's in my car and who she talked to and where I happen to live. Um, it's a humbling thing that you're saying, you know, it's a, it's a humbling
1: thing. We'll only ever know sort of the surface of whatever happens. And that is terrifying, but should be, I guess, motivating to, to always want to learn more, to never take things at face value, I guess.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, you are awesome. Oh, thank you. No, you. <laughs> I, I loved talking to you. And um, before I send you back into your day, I just wanted to ask you to shout out a queero, which is like a person, place, or thing that made you feel you could be who you are today. Would you like to shout Ooh, out a queero? Yes.
1: Oh, person, place, or thing. Oh my yeah. gosh, I should have prepared for this. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, no, no preparation needed. Yeah. Maybe we should. I mean, I already shouted out. I
1: already shouted out. Uh, Tina Takamoto's uh, looking for Jiro, which was huge for sure. Um, you know, I, I will I will say web comics. I think because, yes, yes. I will I will bring it all back around to web comics because um, it definitely was part of my sort of journey of self discovery of of you know who I was on a deeper level, both as an artist and as a lesbian and as you know. Even to a certain extent, as Japanese American, because you know, figuring out identity is a big part of a lot of web comics, and like working through that. So, shout out to web comics!
0: <laughs> shout out to web comics! <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely free, free to the masses. But Ooh, you should yes. always tip if you can.
0: <laughs> absolutely, Kiku. Um, can't wait to see what else you get into, and and thanks so much for your time and for like all of the historical corrections cause- <laughs> no 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 you have you did great <laughs> well
1: thank you so much for having me it's, <laughs> uh, it's truly an honor <laughs> yeah it's a real pleasure